0: Hello, and welcome to So Curious, presented by the Franklin Institute.
1: In this season, Human 2.0, we will be talking to scientists and non-scientists about technology, innovation, and human experience. We are your hosts. I'm Angelica Pasquini.
0: And I'm Deboa Bay. You can call me back.
1: In this episode, we're going to be talking to neurologist Roy Hamilton and mental health journalist Courtney Harris-Bond.
0: So, today we're going to be talking about TMS, transcranial magnetic stimulation. Yep. Yep. Say that five times fast.
1: Yeah. I'm amazed by this.
0: Yeah. It's going to be what? uh, Magnets to Mm -hmm. treat,
1: I don't know, anxiety? Pulsating magnets are on your head. Right. It's actually apparently incredibly effective technology for treating not only depression. You know, I've been reading about this because I love to I love exploring different modalities for healing depression, considering that depression is essentially something that every person I know is dealing with in some capacity. And I think that this technology, apparently this therapy is extremely effective. Yeah. I mean, I love learning about different modalities for treating depression. It's it's uh, such a big part of our world.
0: Yeah. And the brain continues to be a very complex, tricky thing to treat. Although we have all kinds of technology and therapy that has grown over the years, it's still a little tricky to try to treat the brain and depression and anxiety and all these other different mental illnesses or harms or things that keep us from Living full lives.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. It's just so
0: difficult to to try to pin down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is a new technology that seems to be, as you said, effective and, and has a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel.
1: Yeah. I can't wait to learn about the different parts of your brain that affect your mood, or maybe things like repetitive looping thoughts and like how people explore using this technology, how to alleviate those symptoms. Yeah, I know that we're going to be talking to someone who used the therapy, and we're going to be talking to someone on the clinician side. So I, I think that's, that's yeah, really getting cool. those
0: perspectives are going to be great, right? Both yeah. sides. What is it like to 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 use it and then to receive it and to talk about those parallels and where where they align and overlap? It's going to be a really really good uh, episode. And I know the brain is just like it's such a weird organ, isn't I it? Know. Because some people would argue that mm, maybe the heart's more important. Maybe. I don't know the intestines are more important, but like the yeah. brain continues to re, to remain like, you know, top of the organ food, food chain. Maybe I would That's say a terrible so. analogy, I don't
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because we, we're just using the brain to study the brain, you know? We only have a human brain. Right, so right. So there is this meta element where it's like, as much as you know, you, there's still so much mystery because yeah. you're literally using the thing to study the thing, exactly, and it ends there. There right. is nothing more we have, <laughs> so it's like it, it's pretty trippy. But it's it is what it is.
0: We're using the thing to study the thing, so we can get a better grasp of the thing that we have uh-huh. to try to you know connect with all these these other things. Exactly. Yeah. Our first guest is Roy Hamilton. Dr. Roy Hamilton is an associate professor in the neurology, physical medicine, and rehabilitation department of the University of Pennsylvania. He has been in the field of brain stimulation since 1998 and uses TMS and TDCS to study topics including cognitive control, language production, semantic memory, and creativity. Dr. Hamilton's work with TMS specifically focuses on how TMS can improve various aspects of cognitive functioning. Welcome, Dr. Hamilton. Can you
2: introduce yourself in your own words? I am an associate professor at the University of Pennsylvania in the Department of Neurology. I'm a behavioral neurologist which means that I see patients who have problems with aspects of their cognition, memory, other elements of thinking that arise from neurologic disease. Why is treating the brain so tricky? First, we can think about the complexity of the system itself. We're talking about a system that has approximately 100 billion neurons, connections, connections to connections, and connections to connections to connections to connections. They're essentially uncountable. So you're talking about an extreme amount of complexity. Aside from that, there are also some basic mechanical challenges, especially if you're someone who's trying to affect that system from the outside without seeing it, hitting it with a magnet or an electrode. So that introduces a certain number of complexities.
1: Let's get right into transcranial magnetic stimulation. Say on spice.
2: <laughs> You can just go with TMS. Okay.
1: So <laughs> mm-hmm. with TMS, I'd love to just talk about, you name them briefly, but what disorders that TMS can treat?
2: Well, the one that it is principally known for right now is depression. And that's the one that it has a clinical indication for. So in 2008, it was approved by the FDA for use in depression. And so persons like myself, I'm interested in expanding its use into other spaces. I'm interested in the fact that it can be used to modulate brain activity in an enduring way. And so I, and, and you know, obviously a number of other investigators are interested in its use in uh, neurorehabilitation, the ability to help the brain remediate itself and to improve functions moving forward.
1: And what exactly is it doing to the brain when it's working?
2: So even though it's something that's uh, becoming better known now as a breaking technology, the actual technology that drives TMS is about 190 years old. So electromagnetic induction is the idea that if you generate current, let's say you have a winding of wire and you generate current in it. If you have something else that is capable of conducting electricity and you put it near that thing, It doesn't have to touch. You put it near that thing and then you generate current in that first thing that you're talking about, that first winding of of wire. You'll create, when you create that current, you'll create a fluxing magnetic field. That fluxing magnetic field, which is invisible, will then generate current in that second thing. They don't have to be touching. The brain, and specifically the cells called neurons, Mm -hmm. have electrochemical properties. In other words, they use electricity to fire. They, use, they also have a, a certain, what they call we call, threshold of current, where they say, okay, I'm past my threshold, now I'm going to fire. Now I'm going to communicate with other neurons, right? That's how they work. So because they work via electricity, if you have something that generates enough current in them, they will fire. So now you see where we're going. We're Mm -hmm. gonna take a magnet, we're gonna put it over the scalp, we're gonna generate a fluxing magnetic field and the neurons that are right under it are gonna say, oh, I'm having current generated in me now and it's so much that I think I'll fire. And when I fire, I'm gonna do all the things that I do as a neuron, I'm gonna communicate to all the neurons I communicate with, I'm gonna act like an active brain area, right? So you can activate the brain focally From the outside.
0: You've been involved in in research in this field since 1998, which is a long time. Could you talk more about TDCS?
2: Thank you for asking about TDCS. So, TMS is one technology we can use to manipulate brain function. TDCS is transcranial direct current stimulation. Mm -hmm. Now, the idea there is a little bit simpler. Okay. You're going to you're gonna stick at least two electrodes on your scalp. One of them has to be positive, one of them has to be negative. The current is gonna run through them, but the thing is your head's in between. Right. Right. And so the current is gonna run from one electrode to the other through everything that's in its way, including your skin, your scalp, the bone, uh, and your brain. That's how we get current in the brain uh, using TDCS. Now, the amount of current is very small so it works for it via a very different mechanism with TMS, you are telling brain cells fire right now, right? With TDCS, you're applying it over a longer period of time. And what you're doing with this low current is you're nudging millions of brain cells just a little bit closer or a little bit farther away from that potential that I told you about where they're going to fire. The the net result of nudging millions of neurons, millions of brain cells a little bit closer to their firing threshold is that overall, if you look at them all at the same time, they might fire more rapidly, the rate of firing and and nudging them away a little less rapidly. So
1: when you're figuring out how to place it and what parts of the brain are perfect for that particular patient, are the brains looking similar to you? And is every single placement unique to that person's brain or is it like... They're similar.
2: It's actually, I think, one of the million dollar questions of neuromodulation moving forward. So in the past, we thought about how brain areas were organized by looking at brains at the group level. And you know, say, okay, well, on average, when people are performing this kind of mental activity, this area, of the brain activates, or when they're performing this other kind of activity, this, area of the brain, this other area of the brain activates. And so a lot of stimulation in the past was driven by this idea that there are these common areas that get activated, mm-hmm. that, sort of based around the idea that our brains are kind of similar. But the more we learn about brain function and the association between the anatomy and function and the differences between people, the more we realize that, oh, actually, we should be sensitive to these differences. Maybe different people should be getting stimulated in somewhat different ways.
1: Can you talk about using TDCS for
2: creativity? I've been fortunate enough to be involved with a couple of teams that have used TDCS to try and explore what the brain basis of creativity is and to try and enhance it. There are two instances. One, and again, I want to give credit where credit's due. So uh, the big players here were Sharon Thompson-Shill, psychologist at Penn, and Lila Krisiku who's now at Drexel. And I just supplied the brain stimulation. So they were looking at novel uses for common objects. It's a kind of creativity, right? Yes, it is. Okay. So what we found was that we could stimulate the brain in such a way that individuals were faster at coming up with the novel uses for common objects. They would see common objects and come up with some other use for it than the the normal use. And also they were less likely to not be able to come up with something because it's actually pretty hard. You know, once somebody shows you something quick, come up with another use for this. So they were less likely to just go blank. Right, because wow. they were more—they were coming up with more creative uses. We also did some work with musicians, try and figure out if we could uh, increase spontaneity in musicians. And well, the answer is kind of mixed. So what we did is we brought in improvisational jazz artists. Right on. Okay, and we had other people who were jazz artists rate their uh, the quality of their improvisation before and after they got stimulation. And what happened was, the individuals who weren't that experienced as improvisational jazz artists. They actually got better at improvisation as a function of receiving brain stimulation. Wow. The people who were already really good at it, they actually got a little worse. That's funny. Okay, so so it's not a one size fits all. Do
1: you think there'll be a point where these devices are a household item in the future?
2: There are a number of companies that are already trying to make these household items. They are already on the market, you uh, commercially available, which introduces a whole host of questions mm-hmm. right, as to what the strengths and weaknesses of doing that might be. There also are communities of individuals who are trying to figure out how to do stimulation themselves, a, a so-called do-it-yourself brain stimulation community. They are reading the papers that f- persons like myself publish. Uh-huh. They are buying the electronic components and creating brain stimulation units for personal use.
1: I could see the future of this being something that you put on and you feel stimulated and then you go do something new in your day. Yeah. That'll be um, something that people have a lot of opinions around, of course.
2: (laughs) They already do.
0: And Dr. Edmonton, you are also deeply involved in issues of diversity, inclusion, and health uh, equity in medicine. You hold the position of Assistant Dean of Diversity inclusion and the inaugural vice chair for inclusion and diversity in the department of neurology why is it important for you to hold these positions
2: let me tell you a little bit about my story my background absolutely okay so i'm originally from southern california i am biracial so my father who's passed is african-american my mother is a japanese immigrant I am the youngest of a cohort of five brothers and the only member of the American side of my family to pursue any form of higher education. I'm the only member of my sibling cohort to graduate from high school. A consequence of that kind of experience is that when I went to college and medical school, in this case, both of those being Harvard, and then came here to Penn for residency and then stayed on as faculty, Many, many times I was experiencing things for the first time in anyone's knowledge in the community in which I was raised. So I had very few points of contact, very few points of um, mentorship, aside from the very important mentors I made professionally. And so as I mature in my roles, it's important to me to try and lower the activation energy, that basically lower those barriers, the, the ones that I found myself pushing through to get to each stage that I want to achieve in my career, to make it that much easier for individuals who who are faced with similar challenges. I'll say one other thing about this and why it's important. So that was from the perspective of the individuals themselves, right? Trying to make it through their journey. There is ample evidence now that practically every endeavor in which there is greater diversity, it's shown that those institutions and environments outperform institutions and environments that are homogeneous, right? So not only is it better for individuals who are facing barriers to have those barriers taken away from them, it is better for the institutions who are bringing them in. It accelerates excellence to have more diverse environments. And so that's why, those are the two reasons why I pursue these roles.
0: And would you say as a consequence, it's better for science?
2: It is absolutely better for science. There's evidence, for example, that scientific papers that have greater diversity in the authorships produce higher impact science. They're cited more and they're in higher impact journals because they're just better science. You can demonstrate the same thing with gender diversity as well. Diversity leads to excellence. It leads to excellence in science.
1: Thank you for your time.
2: Sure, of course, my pleasure. That
0: was, you know, a fair amount of information. Now, let's be honest, that was a lot of information. Let's take a moment to really sit with it and reflect. Roy, wow, that, I learned a lot. That was good. Sometimes I feel a little bit barricaded from these spaces of information around science and tech and the brain and, and him pulling back those those myths helped me feel like, no, you know a little bit more. Like you're not too far from where the truth is. And, yeah. and, and apparently neither are the scientists. This technology is all new and they're on a bleeding edge. And I'm glad to be having these dialogues with them because it's bringing us in on the good stuff, the secrets. Yeah.
1: I also like learning about someone who has studied TMS. It's like- It seems when you hear about a magnet on someone's brain, it seems pretty far out. And then when you get to understand the science of it, it's very simple Mm -hmm. and obviously deeply complex, but also where it's going on your brain is super complex. But the actual idea behind it is essentially just stimulating places in the brain that need more stimulation repeatedly. And then seeing how that affects that person's ability to, I like when he talked about it can affect your ability to speak better, to feel better yeah why not
0: it's useful it's so useful and i appreciate the work that he does away from the medicine and and, and, in social spaces and and representation i love that
1: okay you know what's incredible is that we're actually able to speak to someone who's had this treatment before
0: lucky for you our next guest can speak to that let's introduce her
1: hi courtney welcome can you introduce yourself in your own words
3: my name is Courtney Harris Bond and I am a freelance journalist in the Philadelphia area.
1: Courtney has received transcranial magnetic stimulation to treat her chronic depression and we're going to talk to her today about that process. Thanks for coming to the show. Yeah, thank My you so pleasure. Much. Can you talk to us about your depression journey and your introduction to transcranial magnetic stimulation? Yeah.
3: So I've been struggling with depression and anxiety since I was very young and um, have been in treatment pretty much since the fourth grade on. I've had three different psychiatrists, all very good, done a lot of intensive therapy, started medication at 18, and I've rolled through all different kinds of meds. And one day my psychopharmacologist who handled my medication said to me, you know, I think I've reached the limit of my knowledge to help you, but there's this doctor, John O'Reardon, who pioneered this treatment called transcranial magnetic stimulation. And he said, I really think you should have a consultation with him. It was great. Dr. O'Reardon is an amazing person yeah. and definitely said I was a candidate for TMS.
0: What were some of your first impressions and questions, I guess, about TMS?
3: I was in a pretty low point. My depression kind of ebbs and flows. I'm a pretty high-functioning depressive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I usually can do everything I need to do, but there are times where I get so low that I really have to push to do even basic things. So I was in that state. So I'm totally open to trying any modality that might help me. I was very curious, it's non-invasive, safer than meds, and I was like, sign me up. It involves placing magnets on very specific parts of the skull and then sending magnetic currents into the brain. Through a lot of research they found this helps with everything from treatment-resistant depression to Parkinson's to PTSD to OCD. There's a whole list of things that it can help with. What I found with TMS, I think I had to go, my memory may not be <laughs> correct, so forgive me, Dr. O'Riordan, but I think I had to go 36 days in a row. And Voorhees is not close to Philly, so good news is you can't drive.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. It oh, great, it yeah. It doesn't affect
3: your driving. I drove back and forth to Voorhees for a long time. And it really did lift me out of the pit I was in. And then we began a maintenance schedule. For a lot of people, the maintenance is minimal. So I had amazing reaction to begin with, but then it petered out for me. Part of it was just the maintenance was too much.
0: You mentioned just a while ago before we got on that You do some freelance writing, and you share your story as a way to break down stigma. Can you talk about the stigma that is around mental health and actually certain treatments like TMS?
3: I think people are afraid of mental illness. Mm -hmm. And as I've gotten older, one of my goals in my journalism is to help break down stigma around behavioral health issues, whether it's substance use disorders or mental health issues. So I just think it's really important to keep the conversation going. Right. Keep it a topic that people become less and less afraid to discuss, and that people who feel more open to share their struggles. So I've laid it all on the table, which some people might judge me for, but I feel like I'm doing what's important to me.
1: Would you be open to talking a little bit more about the different modalities that you've tried? Yeah.
3: So after TMS, and I've always been on medication too, Mm -hmm. so I didn't go off medication for TMS. You know, I kind of rolled along for a while. I'm always in therapy with a psychiatrist, always doing the meds thing. Kind of hit another pretty rough spot and decided to try ketamine.
1: Oh yeah. I read that article. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes.
3: I wrote about that for Undark. Again, I had this experience where it lifted me. It is sort of buoyed me up and I loved the experience of ketamine. You know it mean? sounded like it.
1: I was like, this sounds kind of you get relaxing. get like high in the yeah. middle of the day or the <laughs> morning
3: or whatever. So like it was a very soothing experience for me. Luckily I had a euphoria response to it. Some people have horrific responses to it. It lifted me out of a really bad place. And then again, with the maintenance, I was having to go all the time and I reached a point where I'm like, I just don't think it's good to keep doing this Mm because I'm not sure how much it's helping me. I am putting pretty serious drug in my body. It it didn't last work for me long-term, but I will say again about the ketamine that there are people that I've spoken to and heard of who have had amazing life-changing results. So Just because mine didn't last doesn't mean it's not a great thing for other people to try.
1: I think these alternative modalities are showing us that sometimes we can play a little bit around with the timeline Yeah, how long some things have to take. I am really curious about this conversation around maintenance that you brought up, Mm -hmm. saying that that's sort of where you have to stop because of price point and also availability. It'll be interesting to see if those kinds of things become more accessible to the people who need them.
3: I mean, one thing I will say is that I truly do believe in psychotherapy and Mm -hmm. psychiatry. I do these things as a complement to I'm never out of my therapy and I've not been off medication in many, many years. So mm-hmm. for some people it can be a substitute or the only thing they do. For me, I have had to maintain a pretty high level of, of talk therapy at the same time. But it's very grinding work.
1: I'm also curious, has anything been particularly surprising on your journey that specifically with magnetic stimulation, like either the way it literally felt or how you felt after anything surprising that people would be interested in hearing?
3: Yeah, I think it seemed so sci-fi to me. (laughs) I was like, can this really be true? Like, I was (laughs) sort of like, I'll try it, but it seems like magical thinking that this could help. Yeah, but it's true science.
0: What did you feel physically from TMS?
3: So the first time I went and they had a cap, like a cloth cap, and they took all these measurements and made marks on the cap so they would know where to place the magnets. Every time I went in, would put my cap on and place the magnet or magnets on the exact spot. And then Dr. Reardon turned on the machine and it it was like a rhythmic tapping. I I kind of compare it to like a little woodpecker tapping on your head, but it doesn't hurt at all.
0: Wow. It's
3: a a surreal experience.
0: And these are magnets.
3: Yeah, these are like giant magnets. (laughs) Wow.
1: I have a question about your depression and creativity. Do you have anything that works for you to help you finish your work?
3: To be kind of cynical, I wonder if that's been a little overblown because Mm -hmm. like I said, people with mental health issues are silent soldiers. So they really are pushing hard every day or, not every day, but a lot of days to do sort of basic things that other people don't even think about doing. Like there are some days where it's hard for me to take a shower. I would say occasionally I feel more creative because of my struggles, but the most important thing that I feel is that I have a huge capacity for empathy. Because of my own suffering, I feel I can engage with another person in their own issue, whatever it may be. I write a lot about opioid use disorder and really feel a lot of empathy and try to put myself in their shoes. And I think if you've experienced pain, any kind of pain or trauma, you can relate to different uh, of pain and trauma. That, are
0: there any tangible things you can point out that may have come from the TMS?
3: I'm a big fan of TMS. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great modality for people to try. It's non-invasive. Mm-hmm. It's n- There's no medication. It's easy, it's relaxing, it doesn't hurt.
0: And you would say it helped your depression. And
3: it definitely helped my depression. It just, I couldn't sustain it over time. But there are people who do TMS and it changes their life yeah. forever. They're just like a new person. So I I would highly recommend to people suffering from, like, treatment-resistant depression or different conditions to look up TMS and try to find a provider. And
0: And if you don't mind me asking, you mentioned a couple of seconds ago that some days it's hard to to just jump into the bathroom and take care of yourself the way you need to. What does the experience of depression and what has it looked like for you?
3: It's been a long, hard struggle. Some days are better than others. Mornings are really tough for me. Getting out of bed to get my kids off to school is a really hard time for me usually, almost every day, even though I don't try to let them know that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They
0: can't listen to this, they can't hear this. Yeah, Yeah. no, it's
3: okay, I've written so much They. It's hard to hide depression from kids. It is, they
1: know everything. And it's so interesting because out of any kind of ailment that we would all face, right, in life, it's just adds to it to have to keep it to yourself. Right. Since you grew up with all of this too and you've known it about yourself, am I right to assume that there was like support around you and understanding?
3: I'm so glad you brought that up because I consider myself to be so fortunate. I have been able to receive all these different kinds of treatments throughout my life. There are people suffering in silence who don't have access to anything and my heart just breaks.
0: Yeah. They don't even have the language, right?
1: No, and totally. They don't even know how to say
3: What's wrong? Well, and a lot of those people get so bad that they end up completing suicide, which is a huge problem in our country. So I am very blessed. Even though I struggle, I'm very blessed. Now, I grew up in a very traumatic household, but the one thing I will say is that my parents got me in to see a doctor early
1: And what would you say to someone who wants to take that first step and is completely exhausted by the idea of it?
3: Do it. Please do it. It'll be such a relief. You'll feel good about yourself because you're taking action. You'll start to feel better. I do want to emphasize one other thing, if you guys don't mind. I know there have been shifts in insurance, but I really think we need to make a hard push in this country to get insurance to cover I mean there's this parity out there where insurance is supposed to cover mental health treatment equally as they do treatment of other illnesses. Right. But in practice, if you're depressed or have PTSD or whatever it might be, and your insurance is fighting you every step of the way to pay for the treatments, you're just going to give up. And I think that's unacceptable. And right. I think people like Patrick Kennedy are really pushing, you know, hard to change things. But I think, I think this is a major issue in our country.
0: Absolutely. Courtney harris Bond, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for sharing oh, your story. Oh, it's such an honor. Thank thanks you for, so thanks Honestly, for talking
3: about this stuff. It's really important.
0: It really means a lot to us here. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so Thank much.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Wow. That was, it's reflection time.
0: Wow. I really, have to take a moment to just say thank you to Courtney Harris-Bond for sharing her experience. You know, depression, anxiety, they're serious, serious topics. And a lot of people really do move day to day with these burdens essentially. And she's doing it with her, chin held high, Mm -hmm. fully functional great. awesome. Yeah.
1: I I really appreciated the honesty. Someone who can chronicle their experience this way. A lot of people just Google things to learn and they're privately suffering, right? Right. So they could find someone like her and find her work and discover a way to feel better. And that whole thing can be private for them. As she
0: said, silent soldiers.
1: Totally. And I love and honor and validate that. And then there's someone like Courtney and they're like, I have to spread this message. So it's just, there's different types of people that are struggling. And when she She did say silent soldiers. I was like, yeah, that's most people. Right. You know, and we need to keep in mind that we just never know who's experiencing what she's going through. Absolutely. And I also like that she talked about that she was able to afford these things until she couldn't. Like, let's be real. It's extremely expensive.
0: Yeah. And I think on both sides of medicine, technology and advancement, we're always going to have the scientists saying, hey, try this new thing. Let us Mm. put this magnet on your head. Yeah. But I really appreciated her saying, hey, I have these really, really hard experiences and this technology helps. I think you need voices from both sides to really inform us fully, to really help us step forward into medicine with more of a heart yeah and and, and this this discussion definitely you know my heart grew three
2: times
1: this podcast is part of the franklin institute the franklin institute is a science museum located in philadelphia the franklin institute's mission is to inspire a passion for learning about science and technology for more information on everything about the franklin institute visit fi.edu This podcast is produced by Radio Kismet. Radio Kismet is Philadelphia's premier podcast network for businesses looking to develop their own branded podcast content. Check them out at RadioKismet.com. There's a lot of people who make this podcast happen. Thanks to the producers, Joy Montefusco and Jayatri Das. Our managing producer, Emily Cherish. Our operations head, Christopher Plant. Our associate producer, Liliana Green. Our audio team, Christian Cedarland, Goldie Bingley, Lauren DeLuca, and Brad Florent. Our development producer, Opeola Bukola, our science writer, Kira Veillette, and our graphic designer, Emma Sager. See you next week.